start getting out the elevator, Howard Cosell, man, he says, Eric Dickerson, how in the hell did you and Craig James spend time down at SMU? What the hell was going on over there? I said, Howard, I said, that's just how we did it. He said, man, he should thank his lucky stars for that. Hey, everybody, what's up? Trey Wingo here. Welcome in to another episode of Half Forgotten History, season six. Our guest this week is still the NFL single season rushing king, Hall of Famer Eric Dickerson. In this episode, we talk about his crazy days at SMU. And I'm telling you, nobody had a wilder ride than the SMU ponies in the 1980s. And his transition into the NFL and going from one team to another and what really precipitated all of that. Sit back and enjoy this conversation with Hall of Famer Eric Dickerson. Edie, how are you, my friend? Good. How are you doing, Trey? Doing well, doing well. So you and I can, can I ask you, you can, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Can I ask you a question first? Sure. What's up, yeah. with, what's up, what's up with the birds in the background? Well, you know, we're we're out here in <laughs> we're out here in Maui at our place, so I thought oh, nice my to God. Do it outside. Oh, oh come oh, on. Can, can I come? <laughs> yes, yes. Done. Tell you what, I'll 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 spend a week at your place in Calabasas. You come on out here, we'll call it a deal, right? Okay. All right. <laughs> That's the beauty of how we do this. Now you can do it from anywhere. So as a kid from Sealy, Texas, was there, was there a point where you said to yourself as a young kid, Hey, I, I might be able to do this really well at a really high level for a long time. No, never. Uh, it never crossed my mind like that. I played, I love sports. I mean, I, I played all sports, but my, my things I loved the most was uh, track and, and, and football. Those are my two sports, especially being from Texas. You know, being fast is, is one thing because back in those days, we didn't have Pop Warner when I came up, you know, not, not in a small town. Um, and so I didn't get a chance to play organized football until I was in seventh grade, the first time I played. And I won't forget we played against the Wall of Bulldogs. Um, and, um, you know, I didn't think about, you know, playing professional football. That just wasn't a thought for me. And then, you know, as I went on through high school, um, I won't forget a guy named uh, James Abernathy. Um told me that he was, I was one of the best athletes he'd ever seen in these parts, which was a shock because I was a young kid. And, um, you know, playing, thinking, I mean, but he said, that may be your way out of this, this this little town. And, you know, by the grace of God, it really was. Well, it, it certainly was. And, and how you got out of that town, actually, is the stuff of legend. See, I went to Baylor, okay? So I was at Baylor while you were the Dicker James backfield at SMU. And whenever there's a story about college recruiting or, you know, this scandal at this school or this, whatever, I'm like, Hey man, hold up. That's all pop Warner stuff compared to, <laughs> to compared to SMU at the eighties. I mean, you, you guys were on a different level, right? I mean, it was, people uh, don't understand what the pony oh, express was all no. about. Man, let me tell you, first of all, uh, <laughs> we, we had a, we had, a, we had a great football team over there. And, and let me no tell you, question. No man, question. Playing, 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 and playing Baylor back in those days, whew, y'all were a tough opponent, a very tough yeah. opponent. You know, the stuff that, that people think of the scandal that went on at SMU, um, it was no big scandal. Everybody was doing that back then. They're like, they're like Just like they're still doing it. <laughs> they, yeah. they, they've never stopped. That's the killing part. They act like, oh, no, we don't do that. Everybody was doing it. It just depends on, you know, to the to the level of the, of the degree that you were doing it. That was the beauty of the old Southwest Conference is that it was all it was all the Texas schools in Arkansas. And right. Everyone knew what was going on. And they just sort of it was a thing. You know, everyone sort of we it turned a blind eye because everybody was in the pot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I guess I guess the big thing with us was is that. You know, we were a smaller school, and, and we were beating like the Texas and the A and M. And you know, you know how it is, Trey. 
you can't beat Texas. You can't beat you can't beat AM. You be you you got to be doing something wrong. Now, Texas, we're not doing anything wrong, but you're doing something wrong. So yeah. that's that's how it was. Well, you know, one of the great stories about you was that you initially committed to AM, right? Yeah, I, I committed to AM. Uh I really didn't want to go to AM. I, I mean, and and it wasn't I, I, it was the commitment was just because of the pressure, you know, being right there close to Texas AM, only really like 70, 80 miles away. And uh, to go to go to A and M, that was an Aggie town, really Aggie. Sealy's an Aggie town. One of our biggest boosters, one of their biggest boosters, was from right there from Sealy, and that was just the pressure, you know, to to go there. And you know, I hate what I can say it. I mean, two reasons I didn't want to go to Texas A and M. I could not stand that uniform. I couldn't that, that <laughs> uniform. And I know that sounds crazy. As a kid, no, I get it. Yeah, I was a kid. I was a young kid. Yeah. I, I couldn't stand that uniform, and I didn't like the head. Yell leaders and not cheerleaders. I'm like, I can't get ready for this. There's too many guys here. Uh, but I'll say this much: A M's a great school. It really is. My cousin, my cousin, he plays for the Washington football team. He he went to A M. Ricky Seals Jones. Yeah, and I, I kind of encouraged him to go go to A M. I thought that was a good school for him. For people that don't know, like yell leaders at A M, they're they're male cheerleaders. And they do this thing where they have the pep rally the night before the game. They get all the A&M students and a lot of the alums. And they, they do this, like, yell practice for, like, an, like it's nuts. <laughs> like, it's certifiably insane, right? Yeah, exactly. It's nothing in College Station. But yet, they will have 100,000 people at a football game. It, it, it's mind-boggling. It's, it's so many Aggies. I mean, it's so many of them. But yeah, that, that's something to see. If you've never seen that, you need to see that that bonfire that they do. It is an experience. There's no question yeah. about it. So then you went, you you don't go to A and M, and you you go to SMU. And of course, there's the story of the whole Gold Trans Am that you had. <laughs> and Ron Meyer, your coach at SMU, referred to it as the Trans A and M. A and M, the Trans A and M. People don't understand how good that football team was in, in the early 80s. You, Lance McElhaney, was a quarterback that went to Highland Park High School right there in Dallas, which is just a pipeline to SMU. Um, and we would go up to SMU and watch you guys practice because you guys were so good. And we were all, you know, we're all college kids. And we're all looking at the players' parking lot at SMU. We're like, oh, Porsche, BMW, Mercedes, Trans Am, Corvette. It's like, the best car dealership parking lot I've ever seen in my life. Uh, we did have some nice cars. I mean, the Porsche belonged to Craig James. Let me tell you that. The Porsche, Craig had a 944 Porsche. I'll tell you that. But, yeah, we had, we had, we had all the cars. I mean, it was, it was like a professional parking lot. Um, well, you know, for a reason. you know, I, you know, that's how, like I say, that's how we yeah. did it. Then, of course, Dale Hanson, the great sportscaster, came out and sort of, sort of broke that. And the, 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 the famous line I'll remember about all that is, uh, they had a meeting, and I think the school president said, "Guys, we can't do this anymore." And one of the trustees at SMU said, "That's fine. We won't recruit any more players like this. But you understand, we have a payroll to meet, to and meet, that became heard, the title heard, of the book." I heard, I heard that story. I heard the story. I saw the interview when Dale Hansen had uh, Coach Bobby Collins and I, Bobby yep. the president, and asking them about the you know the the, the check you know and and they look at one is that is that I'm not sure. I mean, look, all they had to do was say no and get up and walk out. I Correct. mean, when I saw that, I'm like, oh, guilty is guilty as hell. I mean, guilty. Yeah. You know, I you know, I'll say that when when Ron Mile left SMU. Um, that crew of Bobby Collins and you know Bobby was a nice guy, but they weren't ready for that job. I, I mean, no. just being all in all honesty, they really were not. They were not equipped for that. Um, even as our football team, they were not equipped to even coach us as, as, as our players because 
I, matter of fact, I, we just talked about this a couple of weeks ago, Craig James and some other guys, is how they had us out there, I mean, hitting full contact. And then, and finally, me and Craig went to him and said, hey, look, man, we're going to we're gonna, we're gonna get hurt. You know, we, we get, because we got a lot of players that's going to play in the next level. And it was so physical. They were like, well, you know, we need to see how y'all play. I mean, y'all don't look like the team that has been advertised. I said, you will see that team on Saturdays. And that's what we tell you. You'll see that team on Saturdays. Not from Monday to Friday, but Saturdays you'll see that football team. And sure enough, after like a couple of weeks, when we played our first football game, they were like, wow, y'all a different football team. Because we had so much talent on that football team. For people that didn't see it, and there were some penalties that went along, so you guys didn't get the national exposure that I think a lot of people knew, but everybody in that area knew. Like, how good top to bottom was that SMU team that you were on? You know, it, it was so good that a lot of guys that – some guys transferred, and if, if a guy got hurt, the next guy up could play just as well, pretty much. That's that's how good we were. I mean, we didn't have enough scholarships, you know, to, because people wanted to come there, you know, because when Ron was there, Ron only recruited the Texas area. He didn't have to go outside the state of Texas, you know, which which was big. I mean, you didn't. Everybody wanted to come to SMU, you know, because we were that good. And if you if you lived in the Dallas area, Houston area, you didn't want to go to U of H, you didn't want to go to A and M or Texas. Go to SMU right there, and, and we were right in the city, just like U of H. We were in the city right there, almost in downtown Dallas in Highland Park. The guy that sort of broke the scandal, uh, the player, I can't remember his name, but he, you met him, right, at, uh, at that, at that David, restaurant. David, David Stanley was his name, matter of fact. David uh, a linebacker, was, yeah. It was a linebacker. We were, we were at Camp Peasies. I won't forget. Camp Peasies, yeah. I happened, yeah. To be in, I happened to be in town, and, and one of our boosters, my, my friend George Owens, who was uh, man, a good guy. Uh, George Owens, he asked me would I come to dinner with, with them that night. They were recruiting a kid. I said, yeah, I'll meet you over Camp because that's what they recruit, actually recruited me to. Right. Went to Camp Easy. Went back, they had a back, they had a room in the back, you know, they do all the recruiting. Yeah. <laughs> had this room in the back. Come to the back room. Uh, in the back, the back room, room. In the back room. Go to the back room. He sitting next to me. And I'll never forget, he was about almost six foot one. And um, he looked at me, he said, man, you're not that big, man. And I'm like, okay. He said, man, I think I could take you. And in my mind, I'm like, punk? I'm like, you're a high school kid. I mean, I'm just, I'm just kept thinking. He said, he said it again. Man, I'm telling you, man, I could take you. And I, I said, really? So after dinner, we get up, we walk out, and I, I pull Mr. Owens aside, pull Mr. I call Mr. O, pull Mr. O aside, say, Mr. O, I said, don't recruit this kid. I said, it's a bad kid. I said, he don't mess up stuff. I told him just like that. Yeah. He said, Eric, you think? I said, I'm telling you. I said, he's a bad kid, Mr. O. I said, he's arrogant. He's a bad kid. He said, okay, I'll tell the coaches. I said, okay. So uh, I walk over to the kid and I, I, I you know, just got close, whispering in his ear. I said, man, let me tell you something. I said, you're a fucking high school kid. I said, I will bust your young ass up. He said, I didn't mean nothing. I said, I don't mean nothing either. So, <laughs> and, and, that, and that was, that was kind of it. And then from that point on, I mean, they kind of, they kind of told me what happened. You know, the kid got on drugs yeah. and uh, they put him in a rehab, put him in a rehab, got out. And he wanted his starting job back, and they didn't want to give him a starting job back, so he quit and turned the school in. And I, you know what? I, I don't know whose brilliant idea it was to write a check. I mean, I just got to, yeah. you know, everybody's out there. I mean, why would you write a check to anybody? I mean, back in those days, like I said, those guys were not equipped for that for that job, you know, at SMU. And so, you know, from that point on, it just it just went downhill. It certainly. And did. The, you know, the funny thing about it, Trey, you know, the killer yeah. thing about it is, is. Myself and Craig and our class, the 82, 81 class, we get blamed for that. We weren't even there. I was in the pros. <laughs> I wasn't even there. But, oh, the scandal, it wasn't even there. 
No, it happened after you guys were gone. And that was that yeah. was the straw that broke everything wide open on that interview with, like yeah. you said, that coach. Oh, that, that sure looks like my handwriting. It looks like my handwriting. It's, that's one of the craziest things I've ever seen in my life. Isn't that one of the great? I'm like, oh. I'm like, just say no and get up and walk out. It's just, just he couldn't stop himself. It just kept yeah. coming out like a word salad. It was incredible. Oh, All right, why don't we take yeah. a quick break and we'll come back. We'll, we're here with Eric Dickerson on Half Forgotten History. We'll talk about his pro career and also the book that's out now called Watch My Smoke. Uh, stay with us. We're coming right back with Eric Dickerson. This podcast is presented to you by Visa, a network working for everyone. Overcoming the odds, rewriting the playbook, delivering under pressure. The MVPs of small businesses lead their teams to victory all year long. And Visa is proud to provide playmakers everywhere with more tools to help their business and help them achieve even greater success. Because the more we can empower, the more we all win. Visa, a network giving small businesses tools to grow. All right, back on Half Forgotten History with Hall of Famer Eric Dickerson, who now we're talking about his transition to the pros. And as a running back, you couldn't have gone to a better situation than the Los Angeles Rams at that time and the offense that they ran under John Robinson. It was the perfect situation. I mean, it really was. I won't forget, you know, John recruited me to come to USC. I came on a recruiting trip to, to SC. I love my visit. It was just too far at the time. And uh, when I showed up on draft day, when they drafted me, matter of fact, they called me the night before and told me that they were going to draft me. Uh, and I had a ticket for me at the airport, be there. You know, my flight left at like 9 o'clock and, you know, be at the airport. So I'm in the car driving to the airport when I when I heard I got drafted on the radio, me and my best friend. And I'll never forget um, the, uh, whoever announced it. Uh, he said, uh, the Rams take a quick pick, running back Eric Dickinson from Southern Methodist University. I mean, my best friend, you know, <laughs> fist pumped and all that kind of stuff. Got to the airport and people congratulated me. Flew out to L.A., and uh, when I showed up at, at the, uh, the the camp at, at the facility, the first thing John Robinson said, I finally got you, which was funny. Yes. You know, it was a funny statement. But, yeah, man, that was a great situation with the Rams, I mean. And the, the, the thing was is that I didn't plan on, you know, being that guy, you know, from the beginning. I mean, it, it didn't work out. It didn't start off like that. Like, we, had, we, we were running the split backfield, and uh, – uh, Jarrell Thomas was a starter. I forgot the other guy was 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 the starter, and I was like on kind of third team rotating on, on second and third team. And we played the Redskins in a, uh, um, I think a, it was a preseason game, and man, I, they they beat us up, and they ran the one back set. And I won't forget John Robinson. We we tinkered around with the one back set a little bit, and after that he said he said we're gonna go to the one back set. He said Eric, can you my back? And from that point, I just, you know, that's, that's when I started, and I just kind of took off from there. I'd say that's an understatement. You set rookie records for most rushing attempts, 390. Most rushing yards, 1,808. Most touchdowns rushing, 18, including two receiving touchdowns. Yeah, I'd say that that worked out pretty well. <laughs> what was it about the offense and that one-back set that, that worked so well for you specifically? Because you were a different kind of runner, right? Most runners yeah. are not as tall, especially back then, as, as tall as you were. And people were always, oh, he runs upright. He he runs, he doesn't ever look like he's running fast. Well, no, no one ever tackled you. So, like, God, you, right? Was that, that had that to be so the, annoying for you. That was the thing that was the most annoying out of everything is I'm not running hard. I'm not running fast. I make it look too easy. Man, I got so sick of hearing that. I mean, I just say, I right, look, I'm not the choo-choo train kind of guy. You know, I say, you know, that's just not me. I, I One day I was in practice and, and I ran a, um, it was called, it was a 
counter trade. We kind of knew we switched to 46 and 47 gap. The guard and tackle pulled, and I was behind him, and you know, trying to stay a distance behind him. And John Robinson blew was stop, stop, stop. He said, Eric, you gotta stop jogging, son. I said, Coach, I'm not jogging. I said, I'm not jogging. He said, look, this is the NFL. You can't jog. I said, I'm not jogging. He said, this is full speed. I'm like, okay, so run it again. So ran again and say, Eric, I'm telling you. I said, Coach, I'm out here running full speed. I said, I tell you what, get out here and try to catch me. So it was our fourth, I think it was our third or fourth game. We played the New York Jets, and I had an 85-yard run. And after the run, John Robinson came over to me and said, son, I guess you wasn't jogging because it looked like he was jogging in too. But it is funny. Like, I, like how, I don't understand how people thought you could do what you're doing if you weren't going full speed. Man, you know, it's just it's some people. I guess just makes it look easy. And I, you know, I was it was a gift. It was a gift tray. It was a gift that God gave me. Uh, it was high ran, high ran the football. You know, they tried to get me to go get all low. Only time I got real high was when I was in open field. It was very rare a guy got a shot shot it in my in my chest area. I mean, I they just didn't. I mean, and I was a big back. You know, being six three, two twenty five. I was a big back. I won't forget we played the the, the Detroit Lions, and uh, this was um, my my rookie season. And they came in town, and I'm, I come on the field. I, I pass some defensive backs, and I'll never forget it. They said, "Damn, that's a running back. That's the biggest <laughs> running back I've ever seen." So, I, I was I was gifted. Yeah, listen, your response to that: "Hey, sorry, I'm just so good." You know, that's oh, that's on no. you. That's that's a you problem. It's not a me problem. <laughs> but you, I tell you, growing up as a Cowboys fan, and, and every Cowboys fan will know exactly what I'm talking about. That 1985 playoff game, you took my soul. Like that entire game, you sort of wrecked, wrecked 248 <laughs> rushing yards in that game. All I think of in that entire game is watching Michael Downs and Ron Fellows, the safety in the corner of the Cowboys, <laughs> trying to tackle you, and they had no chance. I mean, you must have felt like you could do anything that day. Man, you, you, you're correct. You know, first of all, I hate the Cowboys, you know, because uh, on that, we, we scrimmage the Cowboys out here, and I'll never forget. Uh, John Robinson told me later. I mean, because I was so nervous. We played scrimmage, and I was so I, I forgot all the plays. I got in, and and, and I couldn't remember the plays. And I, and and I, they called a play, and I said, "Benny, what do I do?" He said, "You're getting the ball." I'm like, "What side?" You're not even on what side. He said, "What's wrong?" I mean, I was just I was panicked. I, and I said, "I said, I said, I, I, he said, go to the sideline." So I went to the sideline and I was talking to my coach. He said, "Eric, settle down. Just settle down." And he called him plays, and I, I said, "I don't I don't remember. I can't remember." He said, "Just settle down." So I got back in the game. People finally said, okay, start calling plays. I remember I got back in the game. I had a really good game. And Tom Landry told John Robinson before the game, he said, you made a mistake drafting that guy. He said, he's, he runs too tall. He's not going to last long. And now when I heard that, I'm like, oh, I'm going to stick it to them all the time. And uh, after did. that scrimmage, after that scrimmage, he said, you know, he might be all right. <laughs> I always, I always love sticking it to them. You're right, man. You, you said it right. That day, every cut was the right cut. You know, they could not stop me. It was, it was one of those days. Well, it was one of those days, and it turned into one of those seasons where you still hold the record, 2,105 uh, rushing yards. What does that mean to you that that record has stood up for so long? I think it means a lot more now because when I broke it, you know, I thought I'd do it again. I thought I could break it again. Uh, and it just shows how hard it is to get to 2,000 yards. I mean, I had, I think, two other 1,800-yard seasons. It's very difficult to get there. Uh, it means a lot um, to me as a player. People ask me all the time about somebody breaking my record. You know, do I want to break it? No, I don't want to break it. Did they break it? They break it. I mean, I'm not going to be, whoa, go break that record. Yay, kid, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not that guy. And I'm not the guy saying, oh, man, he broke my record. Oh, Jesus. No, I'm not that guy either. 
But uh, you want to hold these records as long as you ha- can because you know, they're hard to come by. I mean, and, and that record, I think, has stood for 37 years, something like that. So it has stood the test of time. Now, I, I didn't think it would last that long, but it really has. Adrian Peterson came close a couple of years ago. Derrick Henry came close a couple of years ago. Do you think Derrick Henry's the guy that's eventually going to take it? Derrick Henry's the guy, I think, that could possibly break that record. I mean, he's, he's that kind of back. They run the ball enough. They have that kind of offensive line. He's physical. Uh, and the guys don't tackle like they tackle when we play. I mean, they, they don't hit. They, they, and they, and they, I think they, they make business decisions when it comes to Derrick Henry, too. Like, hey, this guy's six foot four, and I'm five foot ten, five foot eight. I'm going to pay. I'm going to jump on his back. So uh, if it's a guy out there that could, that could possibly break that record, I think it would be him. Well, it's interesting, right? Because people thought you were too tall to be a running back. Yeah. And people look at Derrick Henry and think, well, he's too big to be a running back, yet he's the guy that might eventually take down the mark that you set. You know, when I, when I met Derrick Henry uh, like two years ago, and I didn't know how big he was, but, man, I'm, I'm like, man, I said, you a big guy. I mean, I'm a big guy. I'm, I'm big, but he's bigger than me. I mean, he's like a like an Autobot, like big all the way from the top, <laughs> like thighs, calves, ankles, toes, everything just big. I'm like, man, you're a big, you're a big guy. He's he's a he's an impressive looking athlete. He really is, and and we'll see what happens with him coming back as uh, they make their run into the postseason. Um, then you were part of one of the most famous three way trades of all time, and it was a remarkable deal that sent Cornelius Bennett out of Indianapolis to Buffalo, where he went on to have a great career as part of four straight Super Bowl in Buffalo that went to the Super Bowl. Uh, a lot of picks and things go that way to the Rams, and you end up in Indianapolis with another one of your former coaches, Ron Meyer. Yeah, man, I, I love Ron Meyer. You know, my former coach and these people, Ron passed away, I think, almost two years ago. Uh, that's the reason I went to SMU, because of Ron. Uh, that's the reason I wound up in Indianapolis, because of Ron. You know, that situation over there with, with, the, with the team and, and him, was a good situation for a minute, for a little while. It wasn't even his fault, you know. It was just a situation where it was, you know, it was a different NFL back then. You know, guys, we had no, we had no rights, we had no, no free agency, and um, None. you know, not like zero. Plan oh, B had, oh, we had, didn't start. Yeah, we, we had no, we had no free agency, no, no kind of rights. But you know, and we just they 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 wouldn't give him the the, the team he really needed. Because I can tell you one thing about Ron Meyer. Ron Meyer knew talent. Oh, there was no doubt he could get to get the talent and, and and get you to play for him because he was that kind of yeah. coach. He was a he was a rah rah, you know, give that speech, you know, on a Monday and you ready to play right now. Um, but you know, like I said, it was a trade that to me, did I want to go to Indy? No. I didn't want to be traded. I mean, I didn't I want to stand I wanted to stay in LA uh my, my whole career. I mean when I when I left the Rams, where I really wanted to go was the Redskins, because my cousin Dexter Manley was at the Redskins. And he, he called me uh, like a couple of weeks before the trade took place. He said, Eric, he said, man, I heard we're trying to get you. I said, man, I know. He said, I know. He had to reply, they ain't going to let that happen. That's too much like right. Because <laughs> I said, I'd have tore it up over there. That was their, the counter trade was their play. The counter that was, trade. That was, that, 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 that was the signature Joe Gibbs running play. And, and that we took it from them. The Rams, we, we, took, the, we took the trade from them. We called it 46 and 47 gap. But, uh, you know, I mean, it, it was some good years in Indy. It was some good years in Indy, but at the end, it just fell all apart. Well, it's interesting because I, I feel like, in a way, you were sort of a trailblazer for what we see now because you did. It was about you know, one of the reasons that the, the trade happened to Indy and one of the reasons that it ended in Indy is you wanted to have more control over your contractual situation. Man, yeah. trade. The thing about that is, and, and I, was, I was so vilified for it. I was made just a, a bad, bad guy, like, like I'm doing something crazy wrong. 
And when you look at my, if you look back at my contract, man, it was it was laughable. It really was. I was just, I was the second pick in the draft behind John Elway, and I was making one hundred fifty thousand dollars base. I mean, that's what I was making. <laughs> Guys, were, you know, three and four rounds making more than I was making. Uh, and I had a I had a, a six hundred thousand dollars signing signing bonus. I had to pay back. I had to pay back to the team. I mean, it was just a bad contract all the way around. And and you know, they wouldn't do anything. I was you know I tried, I, tried, I mean I, t- I went to John Shaw. I said, John, I say, I'll tell you this much here. This was, this was after my fourth year, I think. I said, I am so confident in my ability and our offensive line that I'm willing to go year by year, just a year-to-year contract. If you, if, if I have, I tell them, if I lead the league in rushing, if I have over 1,500, think about that. I said 1,500 yards. If I have over 1,500 yards. No, 1,500. <laughs> That's like in 1,500. If I have 1,500 yards, you pay me like like Elway, like I want to. I said, give me a million dollars. Said, no, nah, we're not gonna do that. We're not, we're not gonna do that. So at that point, man, it was just it, it was it was useless. And but like I say, I mean, I was I was the bad guy. It's funny. It's like anything else, right? Like now we have uh, this NIL in college, and we're just acknowledging what's always happened. We're just trying to pay people over the table as opposed to under the table. And I think now people understand maybe a little better that you can outperform your contract. And that's not a terrible thing to say, I'm better than what you're paying me for, pay me what I'm worth. I think I think people are receiving that information now a lot more than they did back in the 80s. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's no doubt. It, it's just like, it's a lot of, I'll use you for example. If, if you have, if you start off and you start off with like 10 listeners now, all of a sudden I've got 10 million listeners and i like, wow, this guy's blowing it up. We've got to pay him. I mean, I'm like, oh, no, we're going to keep paying you that that 25000 that, that you agreed to. <laughs> it's like, no, that's not right. But, yes, I mean, uh, I think now, because you know what? This changed a lot, and it's good and bad with the social media era. I mean, back then, we had no social media. If, if they wrote something about you, and they wrote a lot of bad stuff about me, you know, made up stuff about me, um, and people believed it. It was true. I mean, oh, it, it, it's got to be true. It's in the paper. And, and they would say right. Well, they can't write it if it's not true. Well, that's not that's not true at all because I won't forget a writer wrote one article. He put some of the things that I said in there, and I'll never forget. He had quotations. Well, let me tell you what he really means. I'm like, okay, this guy's a mind reader now. So, you know, it was it was just a, it was a different era back in those times. It, it certainly was, and now players, for the most part, you see, basically using their own platform and their own sort of social media and however they want to get it out there to get their site out of it. And I think, quite frankly, that's a benefit for everybody. Because um, I, I know that traditional media do, uh, people don't like it, but at the end of the day, it allows you the opportunity to say, no, this is exactly what I meant, or this is what I was trying to say, as opposed to what you, you were interpreting for me. 100%. You said it right. You know, this is what I was saying. This is what I said, and I didn't say that. This is what I was trying to say. You t- took my words and turned it around. Uh, I mean, you know, it's good and bad because some guys, they do some dumb things on the social media pages. But I really think I really think it's really helped the the the, the NFL, the NBA, sports in general. I mean, because it makes you more relevant. You know, you get a chance to sometimes get to get to know the person. You know, not by what somebody's writing about them. If I can see you, Trey Wingo, I say I, I listen to you and I watch you. Man, I like him. I, I like what he's talking about. I, I, I like his take on things. His take is fair. I mean, for me, I think a lot of athletes just want fairness. I mean that's right. what is that's what you want. You you want to be treated fairly. I, you know I, I always say when when people would 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 you know make these comments and and, and you know like you should throw stuff at us. You know and we come on the field. I say how about if that was your son or your daughter 
how would you feel then? You'd have a different take on it when it when it's somebody you know and you love. It's different. And I think people forget that, you know, we have moms and dads, too. We have kids, too. I'm glad you said that, because as we're taping this this pod, it's it's what's called Black Monday in the NFL, where all the coaches are being fired. And I know there's a lot of people that want to get that news out there and, and generate that information first. But at the end of the day, like you said, each one of these coaches, like the players, they have families and especially the assistant coaches, because when a when a coach gets fired, normally that head coach will find another job somewhere else unless he's Urban Meyer, which is a whole different thing we, can do, but we don't want to. Uh, but, you know, it's all the assistant coaches that aren't making that kind of money, you know, you know, the, the offensive line coach or the strength and conditioning coach. And now they got to uproot their families and find work. I'm glad you said that because I've always tried to put that in that perspective. Like, yeah, let's report what happened, but not make it this like joyous thing that someone is like lost their job, even if they were terrible at it, because there's a lot of transition that has to take place after that. It's a lot because like you said, it's just not that coach. It's, it's like when yeah. something happens to a family member, family member say passes away, or, you know, some tragic. It's not just that person, that that, that family member. It, it it affects everybody down behind them. It really does, yeah. and it's the same thing when you know. And and I don't know if that's a good analogy, but even coaches. When when a coach, when a head coach is fired, you know he's got assistant coaches, he's got strength coaches, he's got doctors. You know he's he's got the he got a whole plethora of people that all of a sudden pretty much are gonna lose their jobs too. And let's say I live, I'm from California, then I moved to Green Bay. Now, 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 where am I going? Am I going back to California? Am I going to Washington? I mean, you know, that's why I never wanted to be a coach. I mean, I never wanted that job. You know, I think that's a that's a that's a tough job. I mean, it's it's a tough job, and, and it's something I never wanted to do. It's got to be in your DNA because there's no other reason to do it because it it'll suck the life right out life out of you, right? But from your perspective, and I think that the hardest transition for someone like you said, and you know, because of your running style, people never thought you were running hard. If, if you're so naturally good at something, the end has got to be difficult, right? When did oh, when yeah. did you start looking at film and thinking, wait a minute, that that can't be me? If you, you, you can kind of tell, you know, I mean, like I could have still played a few more years, but my neck would not my, my neck would not allow me to play. Because I had a neck injury, you know, the the guys that sometimes you get around the corner that couldn't catch you, now they can kind of catch they 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 can, they can, they can clip your foot. I was still fast, but you know what I didn't have? That acceleration that I had when I first came to the league. I mean, right. my acceleration was like from zero to 60, like pow. I mean, that, that was that's what I was most proud of. I mean, I think about my, my I got a nine-year-old son, and he is like super fast. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, he's got my acceleration. I mean, that's the thing that that I noticed that, that went away, you know. Wasn't that I wasn't fast anymore, but that acceleration. And, and, and in the National Football League, you need that acceleration. I mean, speed kills. I mean, it really does. If, if you're fast and you're, and you're a good player or a great player, man, that speed takes you to a whole different level. And that was one thing that I noticed that, that I, I was just starting to lose was my, my acceleration. And, you know, and I had the neck injury, and, and then that, that was it. It was a hell of a career, no question about it. But then, of course, you have to make the transition to what you do after football. And we'll take yeah. a second break here. And when we come back with Eric Dickerson, we'll talk about the book that he's got out now and what he did after his life in the NFL. Coming right back. Stay with us. Welcome to our newest weekly segment, Trey's Trends, presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. Look, Caesar Sportsbook is the greatest betting app of all time. Why? Because Caesar's makes everyone feel like an emperor. When you place your bets, win or lose, you earn more with Caesar's rewards. Dining, getaway, stays, so many perks, people. You see, let me explain what that means. In our world, Caesar isn't the only emperor. You see, there's no apostrophe in that spelling. Why is that? 
because everyone who downloads the app will be treated like an emperor. We are all Caesars. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards, which means win or lose, you earn reward credits every time you wager. Redeem them for things like sports tickets, dining, getaways, and so much more. Presented for the people by Caesars Sportsbook. Here's a peek in what you can get watching Trades Trends each week on the Caesars Sportsbook social media and YouTube channels. Super Wildcard Weekend ended up being not so super. Four of the six games were decided by 16 or more points, and there was at least a 14-point lead in every game. Favorites went 5-1 straight up and against the spread, with the Niners being the only dog to win outright at Dallas, but Dallas certainly helped. That's a far cry from previous wildcard rounds, where the four seasons before that, underdogs were 15-3 against the spread with eight outright wins. None of those games were decided by more than 14 points. On to the divisional round now, where all the home teams are favored, but none by more than 5.5 points. Over the last three seasons, favorites are 10-2 straight up and 8-4 against the spread in the divisional round. The two dogs to win outright over that time frame, the 2019 Titans, who defeated the Ravens and then lost to the Chiefs in the AFC title game, and the 2020 Bucks, who beat the Saints and then went on to win it all. The Bucks continue their Super Bowl title defense when they play at home Sunday against the Rams, who are getting three points. Find more of Trace Trends at Caesar Sports on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and on YouTube, with new episodes dropping every Friday. 21 or older, 18 or older in D.C. must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Maryland, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, or Washington, D.C. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Ohio, and Utah, and other states where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis canceling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. That's 1-800-426-2537. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, D.C., Nevada, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. In Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Tennessee, call or text TN Redline at 1-800-889-9789. Virginia, call 1-888-532-3500. Copyright 2002, Caesars Entertainment. Gambling problem in New York? Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NEW-YORK or text HOPE-NEW-YORK 467369. All right, back with Hall of Famer Eric Dickerson on Half Forgotten History. Uh, so the transition, you did a bunch of different stuff after you played, including a couple of years working Monday Night Football. What was that like for you? Terrible. I love the crew, but I was... <laughs> I love working with Al and everybody. I was I was horrible at. It. I mean, horrible. I mean, <laughs> man, I mean, I wasn't ready for that job. Giving those quick little hits, you know, and talking about stuff quickly, you know, some my mind wasn't firing that quick. You know, I need to I need to kind of get warmed up and talk about football itself. But I was bad at it. Uh, but I enjoyed working with the crew. I mean, really, Al and them, they made me feel right at home, and um, I, I really liked working with them. When when I when I was let go, I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> Thank you. Relief. Thank you, because I didn't want to say. You know what? I'm just yeah. gonna call it. <laughs> I'm gonna call yeah. it. I'm gonna call it on myself. You know, I'm just gonna say I'm gonna bow out gracefully. So <laughs> you've done some acting. You've done a bunch of different stuff. I know you're back heavily involved with the Rams now that they're back in Los Angeles. What did it mean for you to have them come back to LA? You know, it meant a lot for, for the team to come back to LA. You know, I, I won't forget. I was in Chicago. Um, I don't know, five or six years ago, maybe t ten years ago. And I went to a game with my friend Richard Dent, and man, it was just 
it was great to see, you know, hey, Richard, man, you know, 85 Super Bowl. You know, they saw me, oh, Harry Dickinson, oh, yeah, we got you. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I was like, man, I said, man, I said, man, this is great, man. I'm happy for you. And I'll never, forget, I'll never forget what he said. He said, Eric, man, if the Rams ever come back to L.A., you'll see what this is like. He said, you deserve that. And when they came back, he was so right, man. I mean, it's good to be back, the team, have the team back, you know, work for the organization, go to the games, and people acknowledge you. It's like being reborn again. You know, I'm not, it's not like playing anymore. I don't want to play football anymore. But, you know, I've always liked fans, you know, because, you know, the fans was make, make us great. And so... Uh, it's been it's been really good, I gotta say. Well, it's lo- it's it's awesome that the way they've embraced you as part of the legacy, bringing that that team back to to L.A. And you also, as we said, the book is out now called "Watch My Smoke," which, by the way, is the greatest title of all time. <laughs> but how did you come up with that title, and what do you want people to know about the book? The title was because of a, a good friend of mine. He was like a dad to me, um, and he was a guy that I'll say he was like a spiritual leader for me, really. And anytime he would say something, Trey, and I'm not joking, anytime he would say it, it would happen, just like he said it. I won't forget when, when he talked about, I talked to him about, about my, my getting drafted. I didn't know about me getting drafted. And he said, Eric, he said, you know, what team do you, because he said, I already know a lot about football. He said, but what team would you like to play for? And I told him, I said, man, I, you know, I really like to play for the Rams because I really like that hell. I, and I just like the Rams hell. I like the hell, I like the uniform. He said, okay. i never forget what he said. He said, nah. he said that's where you're going to end up going now. And sure enough, Trey, boom, that's why I ended up going to, to the Rams. When I ran for 2,000 yards, I'll never forget uh, my my first year. Because he said, you're going to do things that people had never seen before. He said, I'm telling you, you know, people that never, and they may never see it again. Uh, my, my first year, I ran for 1,800 yards. I said, I went at 2,000 yards my first year. And he said, you might not get it your first year. He said, but I guarantee you, you're going to get it your second year. Now, you know, you somebody say that, and they go, oh, okay. And, and whatever. And mm-hmm. Yeah, and boom. I got in my second, and his, his little phrase to me, boy, watch my smoke, watch my smoke. <laughs> and then he told me, he said, Eric, he said, one day, he said, I won't be here. He said, but you're going to write a book. And I said, I said, Mr. I said, call him Stanley, Stanley LeBlanc. I said, if I do Stanley, I said, I'm going to name just that. I'm going to call what you always say, watch my smoke. So it's in homage to my friend and like my, my father mentor, Stanley LeBlanc. That's why I call it watch my smoke. Is there stuff in the book that people don't know and, and haven't been talked about about your career? Oh, most definitely. It's a lot of stuff in my book that, that people don't know. I mean, a lot of people don't know that I'm, I'm, I'm adopted. I was legally adopted, you know, by my great, great aunt. Um, I quit football. I mean, I, I, quit, I quit football. I mean, I, I had a coach in, in high school that, um, I mean, I just called, like I said, I mean, he was racist. I mean, he was, he, 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 he had never coached black kids before. And he came, I mean, and I, you know, I, I grew up in segregation. Like I was, in, I mean, when I grew up, I grew up in segregation. I went to the black school for a while. And then when he came to coach, coaches um, came from East Texas. I'll never forget it. Um, man, just didn't like him. And it just wasn't me. It was like, it was the stuff he was doing to us. You know, things we, he would do to just the black kids. And even the white kids noticed it. They said, man, that's not right. I mean, they, they, when they noticed, you know it's a problem. And so um, my, uh, my my sophomore year, I quit. I, I quit football. I'm like, oh, man, I, I, I can't do this. No, I can't deal with him. Matter of fact, all of us quit. All the black players quit. And then... Um, he came to our house individually, one by one, and, and that next you know, that the, in the summer, and and talked to us, you know, player, player, you know, each player. Um, and you know, I decided to go back, but before that, a guy named James Abernathy talking about guys that you know kind of changed my, the the way I looked at sports and my life could have been different. 
Uh, There's a guy that lived in another town, 12 miles away from a town called Brookshire Royal. He came over, he said, Mr. Dickerson, how you doing? He said, hey, how you doing, Shaq? Called him Shaq. How you doing, Shaq? He loved sports. He loved sports. He said, you mind if I take Eric and talk to him? She said, no, I'll take him and talk to him. So I got in the car with him. He said, Eric, he said, man, I heard you quit football. I said, yeah, man, I, I quit. I said, that, that coach, man, I said, he's racist. And he said, he just talked. He said, Eric, let me ask you the question, son. He said, well, what, do, what do you see here in this town? I said, Shaq, I said, man, there ain't nothing in this town, man. He said, Eric, he said, that's true. It's nothing here, son. He said, hey, let me tell you this. He said, I'm an older man. He said, but you are one of the best athletes we've ever seen in these parts. Now, that in itself, I'm a sophomore. I'm 16 years old. I, I'm like, I'm like, in these parts? He said, Eric, I'm telling you. He said, go back and play football, son. He said, that may be your way out. He said, not come over to Brooks. We'd love to have you there. So I went back, told my mother what he said. And she said, Eric, said, I don't like you quitting. I don't like football, but I don't like you quitting. She says, I wish you would go back and play. And so I went back and we played. We won a state championship. Uh, and I tell everybody, despite of the coach, it wasn't a feel-good story. I still, did, I still did not like him. I still didn't like him. I won a state championship. About three years ago, a guy called me, a guy named Dana. He said, hey, Eric. I said, what's up, Dana? I said, good, man. He said, man, I got somebody who want to holler at you. I said, okay. Gets on the phone. He said, hey, Eric. Soon as I heard his voice, it was Ralph Harris, that's coach, I heard it. My heart started beating fast. Now think about it. I'm 50, I think I was 57 years old. And I hear his voice and it just takes me back. I said, how's it going, Ralph? He said, I'm good, Eric. I said, good, man. He said, Eric, I just want to say something to you. I said, yep. He said, man, I want to see all the good stuff you've done. He had a great NFL career. He said, I want to apologize to you and all the guys if I treated you guys. I said, man, I said, Ralph, I said, man, thanks for wow. saying that. I appreciate that. Because, you know, Trey, when you're a kid, you know, kids, we do stuff. And, we, you know, when you look back, you're like, maybe I was wrong about that. But I knew I wasn't wrong. I knew we wasn't wrong. I mean, we wasn't right all the time. But I knew I, knew I had him pegged right. And so for him to call and tell me, you know, to apologize, you know, it, it, it didn't mean a lot. But, you know, it, it is what it is. And it happened. But. I can say it's a lot of stories like that. It's a lot of funny stories, and there's a lot of funny ones in there also. I'll tell you this story real quick. When I first got in NFL, I couldn't wait for Howard Cosell to do, my, do one of my games. I'm like, man, I want to do one of my games. So we play Atlanta on a Monday night football, and we show up at the hotel, and I come down, touch downstairs, and I'm going to go grab a bite to eat. As I come on the elevator, I'm getting off the elevator. Howard Cosell, man, he says, Eric Dickerson, SMU. I said, how's it going? He said, how's it going? I said, it's going good, Howard. Let me ask you a question, Eric. How in the hell did you and Craig James split time down at SMU? What the hell was going on over there? <laughs> I said, Howard, I said, that's just how we did it. He said, man, he should thank his lucky stars for that. He said, I can't wait to see you play tomorrow night, man. I will never forget. That was one of the most exciting moments for me, just to meet. I'm like, this is how it goes sales. So, you know, it's, I got a bunch of stories in the book. There's a whole generation that does not understand the significance of those two words. Like as a kid growing up, when he would do the halftime highlights oh. on Monday Night Football, and then you saw right. Dickerson <laughs> bursting through the line, <laughs> gracefully running towards the goal line. I mean, it was just, he had that thing, man. You, want, you wanted to hear it. I couldn't wait. Yeah. I'm like, am, am I going to be on the highlights? Am I going to be on the highlights of Monday Night Football? A little different era, but because uh, uh, you, you can get everything everywhere right now. And the book is out called Watch My Smoke. Uh, exactly. So go pick it up wherever you can pick up your books. Hey, on behalf of all football fans, I'm glad you didn't quit or, or you returned 
to 16 because look at all the things you've accomplished, including being the unofficial mayor of Calabasas, California, telling Justin <laughs> Bieber to slow his ass down a few years ago when he was driving through there too fast. Well, thanks, thanks, Trey. I appreciate it, man. It was a pleasure having you on. Your career was amazing, even though you took my soul in that 85 playoff game against the Cowboys. Uh, I'll get over it eventually, maybe, one of these days. Uh, thanks that. for being with us on the show, man. I appreciate it very much. No problem. Hey, man, enjoy your trip to Maui. I'm jealous. Just know I'm jealous. Come on. Come on. <laughs> okay, man. Take care. Once again, our thanks to Eric Dickerson for joining us. And check out his book. It's out now, Watch My Smoke. What a great title. Speaking of great titles, our next guest has one of the greatest titles of all time, or a nickname, really, who is the Princess of Darkness. Longtime front office executive for the Raiders, Amy Trask, joins us talking about her journey, how she became one of the most prominent women in the history of football, and her transition from being an executive to a killer broadcaster on CBS, something she admits she never thought she would do. That's next week on Half Forgotten History. We'll see you then. Yeah.